Hey everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue Him together. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the podcast. Today will just be titled Matters of the Heart. Um, I've had this episode kind of typed out for a long time. Uh, actually, before I even thought of doing a podcast, I had these notes in my phone. And um, it actually sparked from um, just an everyday life situation. I'm not sure. I'm sure. Well, okay. If you've listened, you have probably noticed that I've shared probably a personal story, at least one, just about every episode that I have talked in. And I'll tell you the reason why. Um, Several years ago, uh, Ezra was probably less than one, and we were in a place in Tennessee. um, I don't remember the name of it. I do remember the church, but it was a little bitty town. I felt in this service, I, okay, so uh, people don't ask me to testify a lot, right? Thank God. (laughs) But in this service, uh, I don't know, I just kind of thought, ooh, this guy's about to ask me to testify. And, And it was in a time where I was, well, I'll just tell you, I'll explain it. Everything that I say in this little story will explain exactly where I was. But anyway, so I am holding Ezra and I'm like, I'm going to get this baby to sleep because, oh my, I just can't say anything and all this stuff. So I'm rocking Ezra and I'm like frantically trying to bounce him to sleep. And I said, God, I just have nothing to say. And as soon as I said it, God turned right back around and it was definitely a correction moment. And God just said, I have given you a testimony. So stern and so quick. And you know, in that correction, all I could do was just cry. And I thought, no, I didn't think. I said, I said, God, you're so right. How ridiculous of me. You have done so much and you've been so good. And why would I not share it, you know? And Or who am I to say that you haven't done enough for me to say something about, you know? And so I was so convicted in that. But in that, uh, I have just felt, and I think I might have shared that story before on here. I don't know why I think that. I I may have. If I have, sorry, you hear it again. (laughs) But anyway, so in in that happening, in having that moment with God, I just kind of realized that if I was ever going to share, you know, my heart about anything, it would be most likely stem from part of my story. And, you know, my husband and I were talking about it recently, and actually God had been dealing with me about this, that our testimony isn't just before coming to God. My, my testimony isn't just you know, the drinking and uh, the 
promiscuity and the, you know, drugs that I, I dabbled in and it's not any of that. It's not any of this stuff. It's not the abuse that I endured. It's none of that. It's not the stuff just before God, before coming to God. But my testimony is every day of my life. Every day that I have lived of my life up to this moment is my testimony. And the same for you. So when God told me I've given you a testimony, he didn't just mean I've given you something to say from, you know, uh, 18 years of your life. That's all you have to share from. No, he meant your whole life is a testimony to me. Your whole life should be to bring me glory. And and so I've taken that to heart. And um, and that's another reason why I share those personal stories. So I'm going to share one of those today a little bit later. But I just felt like I needed to explain that. Um, when I share, you know, prayer moments that I've had or, um, you know, just little little bitty snippets from my walk with God on here. It is for no other reason than just to share what God's done in my life. It's for no other reason. And so I hope that you can can feel that, see that, whatever, uh, as you listen. But today, I also, I have been reading this book. So the what I'm going to talk about today, I've had in my phone notes for quite some time. But I told y'all last episode that I was going to Arizona with Taylor and we were having kind of a little getaway. We made a wedding into a vacation for us and uh, Phoenix is actually a really cool area and so um, so we we had a blast. We had a great time. It was nice to sleep. I promise you I got all this sleep. I even got a Sunday nap. How awesome is that? But so I got all the sleep and everything, but also we just had such a great time together. At one point, uh, we were leaving, uh, getting out of the car and walking into the restaurant and Taylor grabbed my hand to hold it. And he was like, we never get to do this. (laughs) How cool is this? Like just getting to hold hands. And I thought that was so funny, but usually I'm holding Abby and he's holding Ezra's hands, and then we're holding a bag, diaper bag somewhere, and so you don't get to handhold a lot, and how sweet was that? So that was funny, Um, and we really, the whole uh, weekend, we just felt like we were dating. It was, it was really fun, but in being uh, kidless for a few days, which I should say, I was absolutely, I could not wait until we got them back, I try not to think about it through the trip, but on Monday on the flight, I'm like, okay, I can't wait to get home and just squeeze my babies. And they were happy to see me, and I was happy to see them. Of course, Taylor had flown somewhere else, so he's actually not not here right now, but we'll see him in a couple of days. And uh, so that was, it was really nice to get home. But on the trip, being kidless, back to my point, <laughs> I got to read some of a book, and I it's so good, and I want to tell you about it. Some of you have probably already read this or maybe heard of it. An evangelist wife, actually, years ago, probably 2011, maybe, I think 2011, maybe 2012, Sister Jessica Wardwell uh, 
she was at Taylor's church, now my church, but I had the opportunity to hear her speak to the young people of our church, and uh, she shared, shared her story and all that, and then she talked about some books, and she shared this book. I never read it, and I, but I always remembered it. I always thought, I want to read that. Well, we were at the bookstore in Odessa a few weeks ago, and um, they were, they had this book on the shelf, and Taylor was buying this uh, something trees commentary set, uh, not the whole set, but he was buying like two of them, and they were pricey. And he was like, "Well, you can get, you can get something too, you know." And so I was looking through the books, and I, I bought this one by Kim Haney, and it's like a children's devotion book, and it's really cool. And I can't wait to start that with our kids. But I also got this one, and it's great. It's called Intoxicated with Babylon, The Seduction of God's People in the Last Days. And it's by uh, Steve Gallagher. So I can't speak for the whole book. If you've read it, uh, if there's something not good in the back of it or something that <laughs> contradicts what you know what we believe or whatever, uh, I'm not vouching for the whole book right now. I am on page, uh, where am I? Hmm. I'm on page 71, but so far it is so good. And actually I read something in it that made me think I need to share that, um, what I'm going to share today. So that's really where we are in a moment. I'm going to read the little excerpt from it and then we'll get into the little lesson today. I'll go ahead and read that excerpt from this book. Um, and this is about Lot's wife. This example is Lot's wife, whom Jesus solemnly warns us to remember. This woman illustrates the person who sits in a church listening to godly teaching and preaching, but who has never had a genuine conversion. The words of J.C. Ryle apply so accurately to such people. I will speak of the religious privileges which Lot's wife enjoyed. Not one in a hundred perhaps had such good example, such spiritual society, such clear knowledge, such um, such plain warnings of Lot's wife. Compared with millions of her fellow creatures in her time, Lot's wife was a favored woman. Yet what good effect had all these privileges on the heart of Lot's wife? None at all. Notwithstanding all her opportunities and means of grace, notwithstanding all her special warnings and messages from heaven, She lived and died graceless, godless, and impenitent, and unbelieving. The eyes of her understanding were never opened. Her conscience was never really aroused and quickened. Her will was never really brought into a state of obedience to God. Her affections were never really set on things above. The form of religion which she had was kept up for fashion's sake and not from feeling. It was a cloak 
worn for the sake of pleasing her company, but not from any sense of its value. She did as others around her in Lot's house. She conformed to her husband's ways. She made no opposition to his religion. She allowed herself to be passively towed along in his wake. But all this time, her heart was wrong in the sight of God. The world was in her heart and her heart was in the world. In this state she lived and in this state she died. Nothing so hardens the heart of man as a barren familiarity with sacred things. And uh, I just, that was the end of the, I would say quote, but that was like 50 sentences. So (laughs) that was the end of the page uh, that I was sharing. Wow. (laughs) Nothing so hardens the heart of man than basically, you know, being around the church and in the church, but not really being the church. That's kind of what I want to talk about today. I I just, I think that there's this, there's this point where, and I really think God's been working on me uh, just to examine my heart and search myself and what are my desires and what are my motives and what are my, you know, intentions and the things that I say and the things that I do, all of that. So I've been checking myself. So any, uh, anything tough that I say today, I am saying it to myself. I promise you. Uh, but I really did feel like I was supposed to share this today. So I just pray that you'll open your heart and, um, let God, let God speak to you. Let God move on you. You know, um, I don't care how long I live for God. I always know that he's always working on me. And I don't want him to stop. I want him to always be working on me. And I know that, you know, sometimes he reveals things now that they've been there for years. But, um, you know, he's patient and he's long-suffering. And so maybe now when it comes, there's there's just times where he's like, okay, we need to deal with this. And so uh, that's what today is. Um, it's so powerful that we as humans have this ability. Uh, God gave us this ability, this, this thing where we can set our heart on something and have it. Whatever we pursue, whatever we purpose in our heart Nothing can stop us if we're determined enough. How many times have you heard that? You know, you can be anything, you can do anything that you set your mind to or set your heart to. And it's so true. You know, I see this just about every day in my Abby, my one-year-old. Someone recently Uh, told me that they have never seen a more determined baby. When she sets her mind to do something, she's persistent and doesn't quit trying until she figures it out or till I move her away from the task. 
And so I want to talk about some people that set their heart on something. Actually, a phrase that you'll hear over and over today is that someone said in their heart. And there's so much power in those uh, in those heart thoughts. The woman with the issue of blood, we've talked about her before during that At His Feet uh, series. She said in her heart, she didn't even say it out loud, but she said in her heart, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Later, Jesus not only notices, but he says, your faith has made you whole. And you know, if our thoughts can lead us to wholeness, then I also believe they can lead us to brokenness. And so we have to be mindful of that. In Proverbs, it says this, it says, uh, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. How true is that? And I just, when I'm thinking about having a pure heart, I think of David, right? The one with the heart after God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's in Psalms 19 and 14. You know, this verse has been my prayer. Lately, I just feel like I am pursuing, just making sure that every single avenue in my heart is just pure and right. And I know that I am just flesh, but I'm also spirit and I want my spirit to be strong and I want my heart to be pure, my thoughts to be pure. And so I am striving for this pureness and striving just to be right. Aren't you? You know, I, I never want to be in this place where I'm more concerned with the opinions of those around me than the opinion of the Almighty. I never want to mistake, you know, the praise of men or, or women uh, to be equal, equivalent with the approval of God. It's so easy to mix it up. It is so easy to mix it up. Both in the seen and the unseen, I want to be pleasing to Jesus no matter the cost. And I hope that you feel that in your heart today as I'm sharing. I hope that you can just relate and and just grab on and and search yourself. None of us are too good. None of us are above messing up. None of us are above having something hidden. You know, David, David was a man that was capable of great victories, but also horrendous defeats. We remember him to be victorious, but he was only a man. A man with struggles and big mistakes, but what made him so different was his desire for a clean heart and a right spirit. Psalm 51, 10 and 11, Create in me a clean heart. These are David's words. O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
Cast me not away from your presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. For David, no matter what happened or what situation he found himself in, he brought himself back to God, desiring to be right with God above everything else, above everyone else. And I read this this quote uh, actually quite a long time ago, but it fits. And it says this, it says, uh, life is a production where reality is not on the stage, but in what happens backstage. The true you is revealed in a backstage pass. God has that backstage pass. He sees it all. He knows it all. He looks through us like a glass. And so I have to search myself. Because at the end of each day, it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of me or what anyone else thinks of you. It doesn't matter what we show on social media or what we show to those on the outside. But what does God see? Is he pleased? And that's why it's been my prayer. You know, God, I just want to be pleasing to you. I want you, God, to be pleased with me. In 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel is going and he's looking for a king. Saul has, oh, just miserably failed and God says Samuel why why are you still mourning for Saul you know get up and go and he tells him to go and anoint a new king and he tells him exactly where to go but as Samuel is looking at the sons of Jesse they look great on the outside so did Saul but (laughs) and it's a big but God looks at the heart. God told Samuel that man looks at the outward appearance to judge a person, but God looks much farther beyond what the eye can see, and he looks inward. And I feel like it is so easy to get caught up with being so together on the outside. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with having it together, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, You know, as far as what parts of my life that I show to others, you know, I mean, I'm not going to just air out all my dirty laundry on social media or talk about Taylor and I's most recent argument with someone that I just met, because yes, we do argue, (laughs) probably usually uh, because of me, but um, (laughs) uh, I do have to be real. And I have found that we can't put so much stock in what others see because they're never going to see the real picture, the full picture. Have you ever seen that? Um, There's this thing that's gone around social media and it is a mirror. It's a picture of a mirror. And in the mirror, it is this beautiful, perfect, unblemished apple. Simple, an apple. And so if you were looking 
in what you see in the mirror, you would see this perfect, unblemished, um, just wonderful, too good to be true apple. (laughs) But the picture is taken from behind. And so you see more than what's normally shown. You see the behind the scenes. You get that backstage pass like I was talking. And there's like bites or something out of the apple. Like it's not perfect. It's not desirable. But the side that you see originally is. And it's so easy to look at others or look at ourselves and see that good side. But not be real with ourselves that we also have issues, you know. We also have things in us that are not desirable. We also have things in us that we've got to work on. But what's important to God? Pure motives and a pure heart. And when Samuel went to Jesse's house, the brothers all looked to be a great fit for, for to be king. But God saw the heart. And God called a boy from the field to come in. One that his father didn't even consider to be a possibility to be king. But he was the one that was anointed that day. Because God looks at the heart. So many times we can be like those brothers. We have it all together on the outside. But we forget to do that inward heart work. A couple of years ago, uh, God pressed me to do this heart work. And he did it with a really horrible visual that I will never forget. I walked into my kitchen and I had a wax warmer going. So usually I like food scented things. Uh, French toast, that's my favorite one. Uh, Walmart has French toast candles, usually at fall time. I haven't actually looked this fall. If you're not home, you don't have a need for candles. (laughs) Candles aren't ideal in a hotel usually. So Uh, But anyways, these candles are perfect. They are a two wick and they are $3.44 at my Walmart. If I get three of them, my whole house will smell awesome. And it's so cheap. So I love that kind of candle. Um, But I, I like French toast. I like the pumpkin, pecan cake, every good holiday scent, every, all the really yummy things. Um, Taylor hates them. He hates all the food scents. I guess that's why I love them even more. I'm not sure. I tell people that I have just a talent for um, making my husband irritated or getting on his nerves. I don't know. Uh, I guess God gave me to him so that he could be tested daily. (laughs) But he hates boots and candles and he tells everyone that he forbids them, but they are all through my house. So anyways, this day though, the wax warmer was like this really clean scent. So someone had gifted me um, some little wax melts that were like a, you know, like clean cotton. They were blue and um, just smelled super fresh. And so Ezra, he had been sick. I'm talking ruin every blanket and towel in the house. Day three of sickness. It was horrible. I was overwhelmed. Um, I Taylor was... <laughs> I don't know if he was home or he's probably out of town. Um, But 
So it was just really bad. And I was, I was really tired and just worn down. And I had just cleaned the kitchen though, a little bit before. And so I walked in the kitchen or was walking through from the laundry room to the living room. And I thought, man, it smells good in here. You know, I looked around and it was all clean. I I had cleaned the counters all off and the sink was empty and the dishwasher was even running. What a good sound that the dishwasher is going. And I was like, man, it's so good in here. I was probably, okay, not probably. I was proud of myself and I was like, man, I'm good. Like I'm tired and I can't, I haven't even been able to think straight with how sick this baby is, but man, this kitchen's looking and smelling good, you know? And then, you know, I looked and as I was walking out the back of the kitchen, I saw the crock pot. It was in the back corner, back left corner of my kitchen counters. It was kind of pushed back in the corner and I don't leave a lot out on my counters. Um, I have like my mixer and my coffee maker in my microwave, which I want to have mounted above my stove, but that's irrelevant. So anyways, I'm like, oh, I need to put that up. So as I'm walking over there with the intention to grab the crock pot and put it in a drawer that I have, my bottom cabinets are drawers. So I'm about to go put it in the drawer. And man, all that smell good was gone as soon as I grabbed that, that crock pot. Because As soon as I grabbed it to put it away, I realized that there was broth and bones in it from a whole chicken and skin that I had cooked a couple days before. I couldn't believe that I had missed it and forgot to empty it. It slipped my mind because I had emptied the meat out as soon as it was done and and put it in the fridge. And, you know, in the middle of Ezra being sick and all that, I was so frazzled and I had missed emptying it completely and washing it out. And here I was sitting in this standing, standing in this kitchen that I had just thought to myself how good it smelled and how clean it was. And I was so proud of it, feeling so good. And then there was this crock pot of rotten smelling remnants of food in the corner. Isn't that just like our hearts? We make strides in our walk with God and we do all these good things, but we can't be so quick to pat ourselves on the back if we haven't thoroughly looked through the corridors of our heart with Jesus's help. And I'm not just talking about obvious sin today. You know, if you do have obvious sin in your world, if you have that stuff that you look at and you know, like, I'm supposed to get rid of this do it. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Life is so much more peaceful and enjoyable when you get the sin out of your life. You know, you know, clear out, clear out your closet, clear out your, when I say closet, I just mean like the things that you're hiding, (laughs) whatever it is. If you do have sin today, like all of us sin, all of us mess up. I know that, you know that, but if you have this sin cycle, If you have something that you hide, that you know is wrong, that you know is not okay, whatever it may be, I urge you to get it right. It's not worth it. Such a weight is lifted when you just choose to live for God and do it all the way. But today, 
in this. I'm not, I'm not really aiming at all of any obvious sin. I, when I'm talking about something hiding in the corner or hiding in the corridors of your heart, I'm talking about those unobvious things. Sometimes those silent things usually have a lid on it like that crock pot that when you look, it's all okay. But when you start digging, you smell it, you see it. Those things like pride, jealousy, unhealed wounds from past hurts, bitterness, offense. You know, I have never seen something more destructive than bitterness. There are people that I love greatly that have dealt with bitterness so strong that it destroyed every relationship. And and God is a mender and when we get it right, He can heal it all. But man, bitterness is so powerful and I think when we when we deal with it, when we carry it, we think that no one notices. We think that it's really not affecting us, just this little grudge, but uh, I cannot even get into it all. But if you have bitterness in your spirit, you got to get it right. You got to forgive. You got to let go. It's not worth it. It not only destroys your relationships, but bitterness destroys you. You know, that crock pot was pushed back to the back of my countertop and had a lid on it. And you could not see that something was wrong or unclean unless you took the lid off. And I have known, I have seen in my life that unless we allow God to peel back the layers, maybe even peel back the years, We may be walking around unaware with something completely rotten in our hearts. And I just want to be pure. And I know that you do too. Above all else, guard your heart. So I'm going to talk about a few Bible characters. And I'll be quick to note that even though not one of these characters we talk about has my name, I can easily insert myself into their stories. The story, I mean, the story I just told you about was in my kitchen. Shouldn't I have known or been aware of what was going on under my own nose? I should have, but I wasn't. I had been careless and in turn was deceived into thinking that everything was okay. And it's so easy, I've said it more than once, it's so easy to read these stories and point the finger at someone else, at really anyone else, and see their thoughts. But I want to turn the magnifying glass and point it at myself. And I wish you'd do the same. So I want to start by by telling you that our heart thoughts, as I call them, can lead us to life. Or lead us to destruction. But I have to be in control. Taking every thought into captivity. If it's negative. If it's destructive. If it's haughty. If it's wicked. If it's fearful. Whatever it is. If it's not of God. I've got to do a U-turn in my spirit. 
and I've got to do it quick. Not long ago, I, I did a study of several of the kings of Israel. Uh, it was by Lisa Turkist. Uh, I might be saying her name wrong, but it's spelled kind of funny, but I'm sure you've heard of her. Um, I really enjoyed it, though. And as I read, something that stuck out to me over and over was that with these kings, the direction that they led the kingdom to, whether that would be closer to God or farther away from God, was directly in line with their heart thoughts and their influences. What thoughts were they entertaining and who were they listening to? If I know those two things about a person, I can tell you what direction they're heading and whether they're walking in favor with God or into absolute destruction in their world. As I was reading about one of these kings, though, it stuck out to me that the word specifically said this. And Jeroboam said in his heart, if you want to read his story, that's in 1 Kings. This verse is actually, or this portion of a verse is actually in chapter 12. Um, It's a really crazy story. So some thoughts, I said it earlier, are so powerful that they don't even need to be spoken. And all of the events that spiraled from this heart thought that he had completely affected not just one man, not just himself. It's never just about us, but it in fact affected an entire people for generations. God had just given his people, so um, he had just given his people a direct word to not fight against each other. And since God com- God's command went against what Jeroboam wanted, he reacted in fear. After God's word to the people, it says that after he said, do not fight, like don't go against each other. Um, it says that they hearkened to the, wor- the word of the Lord. They planned to listen. They wanted to obey the voice of God. And then immediately following their obedience to God, Here's what Jeroboam said. It says, uh, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. That doesn't seem like a bad thing to me. But it wasn't what he wanted, so he rebelled. And then all of the things that followed that first thought. He led the people astray. He built two golden calves to turn them to idol worship. If he couldn't get them to fight, he would just turn their allegiance. He would just turn um, basically their gaze. He He would get their attention by these idols. He set up places of idol worship and even appointed his own priest. Priests that weren't from the Levites like God had commanded many generations before, but then he also appointed his own feast that mirrored the ones in Judah. Not only straying the people away from the ways of God, but he provided an alternative. Wow. So it's so important to note to me that earlier in this, in his story, you really need to go read it. Go read his whole story. It's worth the time. It is not boring. It is full of just jam-packed, full of events and craziness. It's really a neat story. So, um, 
earlier, he was needing counsel. And so he had two sets of counsel that he, he ran to. He, he took the, the advice, though, from his peers instead of the elders. Counsel, whether good or bad, will turn to influence over you. And could it be that if Jeroboam had established good counsel the first time around, the first time he needed help, from the elders that had given sound advice, advice that he didn't want to hear, but he needed to hear and was right. So he didn't go with them and he went with his peers that said what he wanted to hear. Why ask for advice if you don't really want an answer? That's a whole nother topic. But could it be that if he would have had that that stable and solid advice early then now later when his heart failed him that he would at least have had someone trying to steer him back the right direction but he didn't so he he had chose this voice that appealed to his flesh and he was led again astray he was fed advice that went right along with what he already feared And that's what led to the golden calves being made and the people of God once again being led to idol worship. So this whole said in in their heart thing, you know how I know that it can be destructive behavior? As if Jeroboam's example of complete destruction and leading um, the northern kingdom of Israel down just this horrible path as if that wasn't enough the word also says this satan said in his heart i will ascend into heaven i will exalt my throne above the stars of god i will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north i will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will be like the Most High. He didn't say it out loud. He said in his heart. All it took was a heart thought to be cast out of heaven. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? As wicked as the heart is, There is also power in what we dwell on and what we set our heart to do. What we set our hearts on not only has the possibility to bring destruction like those other two examples, but it has the chance to bring life. Proverbs 4 and 23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. We have to keep it clean. We have to keep it pure. And to do that is a fight. It says keep your heart with all vigilance. You know, vigilance means this. um, The action or state of keeping careful watch for possible dangers or difficulties. Careful watch. We have to be mindful but if you've messed up or, or when, we, when we find ourselves with faults in our thoughts or 
when God allows us to identify a weak spot in our heart, what do we do and how do we fix it? You know, what I've noticed is that when the word says that someone said in his heart, and it sees negative, it's 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 referring to an idea or thought that comes from human reasoning, from flesh and not from God. But in fixing it, we can take a cue from a few other kings. You know, the direction that the kingdom went, okay, there are so many kings, you cannot number them. Okay, someone has probably numbered them, but when I was studying them, when I was reading through, it was like, there are so many. And, you know, what happened with the people that they led all hinged on this one thing. And it's in Jeroboam's story too. So his kingdom, when he was leading, it turned away from God. It started, they were trying to heed to the voice of God. And then he set up high places. High places were just place of worship. And then he also set up, you know, those idols and and made these mirrored feast, feasts that would um, be similar but not pure, similar, but not the same to the ones that were held in Judah. So the kingdoms that these kings led all hinged on what that king decided to do about the high places. High places were um, places of worship, but they weren't places of worship to our God. These horrible often uh, sexual rituals to their pagan gods and also just pagan worship. And so we can read every everyone. There's some that some kings that say, you know, they had a good heart, but they didn't ever tear down the, the high places, you know. So here I'm going to tell you about one king, Jehoshaphat. Here's what the word says. He was a, a he was a good king. It says this, the high places, however, it says right before this verse 29 and 30, it talks about how his kingdom had peace and rest. He was a good king. And then verse 33 says this, the high places, however, were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. And so it's great. Like he was, he was a good, a good king. He did good things, but he didn't tear down the idol worship. He didn't tear down the things that were turning the attention of the people away from God. And so even though he did good, there was this big, however, attached to his his name, you know, like he was good, but he still didn't do everything he was supposed to do. And I don't want that to be said of me. That's kind of like at the beginning when I was saying that we can do all this good, but if in our hearts there's something hidden, if in our hearts there's something that distracts us from God, then what good is that good, you know? And so in us talking about this, when our desire is uh, to get it right, you know, if if God reveals something to us and it's it's not right, it's not it's not okay. Yeah, there's good, and yeah, we do good things, but we've got some not good in our heart, and maybe we have these 
false places of worship, these high places set up. What does this look like for us today? Idols. There's this song um, years ago by Jimmy Needham. Uh, you've maybe heard of him. There's this song it's called Clear the Stage. And I think, I don't know, when I was just getting ready for this, the song, parts of it just played over and over in my head. And and just a way to make sure that we don't have any of those high places set up. So today, we don't have just regular idols. We don't just have these golden caps, but in 2020, we do have idols. And we do have high places set up. And they may look different, but they're just as sinful and they're just as wrong. And if we want to be right, we have to tear those things down and we have to just clear out our lives. A good definition says this, this is the lyrics of that song. Anything that I put before my God is an idol. Anything I want with all my heart is an idol. Anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol. Anything that I give all my love is an idol. The very end of it says this. Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze if that's the measure you must take to crush the idols. Y'all, whatever it takes to get the things out of our lives that aren't meant to be there, it's worth it. It's worth the time that it takes. It's worth the effort that it takes. It's worth the hard, hard work that it takes. Digging up years of stuff and, and letting God search through us. It is worth it to be right. There's nothing better than being right with God and having that peace with God. But even still, even today, I just say, search me, God. Search me, God, and know my heart. Anything in me that's not pleasing to you, anything in me that's hiding, any maybe things I'm not aware of, God, make me aware. I've really gone too long today probably, but I just wanted to share my heart. We've got to get it right. All of us, each of us, me and you, our hearts have to be pure. We can't have things just hiding. we got to... Do that hard heart work and let our hearts be clear. Tear the high places down. Get rid of anything that you've put before God. I don't care what it is. We've got to get our priorities right. We've got to get our heart right. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time.